Good evening. I am very excited to be with you guys. Let me, this is a good impression. <laughs> uh, I am very excited, Pastor Cindy and Pastor Ivan. I don't know where he went. <laughs> Praise God. But thank you guys so much uh, for allowing me to come here to minister to your people. Uh, I'm honored, I'm humbled, and I love you guys so much. I thank God for you guys and the friendship that we have. Um, but tonight, um, the Lord has been dealing with my heart a little bit about a bunch of things. And um, tonight I'm going to be reading from 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13. I feel the Holy Ghost. You can stand for the reading. You can sit and whatever floats your boat, but we're going to stand. I like it. Okay. Starting with verse 1, it says, And the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. And I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, and I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Then the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. So Samuel did what the Lord said. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. And the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Jesse had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. And he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And then Samuel went to Ramah. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you, God, for your presence that is here in our midst. I thank you, God, that you make yourself known. 
I thank you, God, for your faithfulness. I thank you, God, for the plans that you have already set up for this service. I pray, Lord, that your people's ears would be open, God, that they would sense you and that they would feel you and that they would feel the pull on their hearts, God. I pray, God, for anyone who is struggling, Father God, that they would have an encounter with freedom tonight. God, those that are hurting, that they would have an encounter with the healer tonight. God, I thank you that you are more than able to meet the need. I pray, God, that you bless these people, Lord. I pray, God, that you would come and preach this message, that you would use me for your glory. And I pray, God, that your presence would fill this place. We make room for you, God. And we invite you, God, to dwell here in the midst of us, God. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that I feel, God. I thank you, God, for these people that are here. I believe, God, that this is not a coincidence, God, but this is an appointment, a divine appointment, God, for you to do what you have set to do. Have your way tonight, God. We make room for you. God, we make room for you. Oh, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, have your way. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and we all said, Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Tonight, I feel like I've come to speak to a room full of Davids. I do not believe that it is coincidence that I am here, but it is a divine appointment. Nothing is ever coincidence in the kingdom of God. I believe that the Lord is going to move in this place, that people will be encouraged and changed and challenged. In 1 Samuel 16, we read the story of how the Lord had been speaking to Samuel about going to Jesse's house to find and anoint the next king because the Lord has now rejected Saul as king. So Samuel makes his way to Jesse's house and Samuel explains to Jesse his assignment. And Samuel asks Jesse to bring his sons before him. Jesse has his sons line up before Samuel and one by one they walk by him. In verse six of chapter 16, it says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before me. I'm gonna read that again. The Bible says that it says that Samuel saw Eliab and thought. When you decide to operate outside of Holy Spirit, and you begin to work and move in your flesh, you will no longer be able to see things through a spiritual lens. When you begin to operate in your own thoughts, you now begin to think outside of the way Holy Spirit intended for you to think. Our biggest problem is we will begin to look at people in situations with our own physical eyes instead of our spiritual eyes. But let me tell you, you cannot discern spiritual things without looking through spiritual eyes. And you will not be able to hear spiritual things if you do not have on your spiritual ears. And you will not be able to think 
with the mind of Christ if you do not have the mind of Christ. This is why in Romans 12, 2, it says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The NIV says it like this, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is why it's so important for you to have the Holy Ghost. Because you need the Spirit not only to be able to discern spiritual things, but you need the Holy Spirit to think like Him, to talk like Him, to walk like Him, to see how He sees, to love how He loves, to operate how He operates. You need the Holy Spirit in order to live a spiritual life and the way that He's calling you to move. Do you guys remember the Jungle Book? Like the old school one. They redid it and I wasn't a fan. But we like the old school one. And there's a part in the movie where Mowgli went to talk to the monkey, the orangutan. And there's a part where the monkey starts singing to Mowgli and he, and he starts, you guys, if you know it, please sing along. He says, ooby doo. I want to be like you. I want to walk like you, talk like you too. And I understand that the context of the movie is slightly different, but if we were to apply it, this should be our song to God. Look, I need to follow you. I want to walk like you. I want to talk like you. I want to mimic your movements. I want to say the things that you want me to say. I want to see the things you want me to see. I want to hear the things you want me to hear. We need to be able to operate in Holy Spirit because if we don't operate in Holy Spirit, we will begin to operate in the flesh and I can promise you his ways are far more better, far more better than the things that we think are better for us. I tell people this all the time because one of the things the Lord has been dealing with me about for about three years now is identity. When my, for those of you who don't know, I'm an identical twin. And two years ago, it will be two years ago, she got married. But the thing with twins is like, you guys do literally everything together. And our relationship has always been, whatever you do, I'm doing. <laughs> whatever you do, I'm doing. And when my sister got married, don't cry. I felt like I lost a part of myself because I found my identity in my sister. We were always together and that's how we were identified. Oh, there's the twins. There's the girls. But when my sister got married and she left, I, I, I felt like I didn't even know who I was anymore. And I had to start figuring out, okay, what does Aubrey like to do? What does Aubrey enjoy doing and I had to build myself and figure out who I was but there's this thing with when we come to Christ we lose our old man's identity 
And when we come to Christ, we begin to take on his characteristics and his attributes and, 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 and the way he operates. And there are times when it's a struggle because we're, un, we're unfamiliar. When, when you first give your heart to Christ, we're like, well, what do I do now? What's next? But we begin to hang out with God and we start to pick up his characteristics and we start to understand his ways. But when we start to spend time with him, we become more like him. And I tell people that when people come in contact with you, after you give your heart to Christ, they are no longer coming in contact with you. They are coming in contact with Jesus. And I try to tell people, you have to understand that when someone approaches you and they get to spend time with you, they are no longer meeting you, but they are having an encounter with the kingdom of God. You are Jesus reflected. You are his hands and feet extended. And a lot of us don't understand that when we give our hearts to Christ, all of a sudden we have the kingdom of God dwelling inside of us. You have the kingdom of God inside of you. In Luke 17, when the Pharisees saw Jesus heal 10 lepers and only one of them came back, they said to Jesus, tell us, when is the kingdom of God coming? And Jesus says to them, the kingdom of God doesn't come by observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for the kingdom of God is within you. And what he's saying is you're looking around, waiting for the kingdom of God to be manifested. You're looking over here and you're looking over there. But Jesus is saying, no, the kingdom of God is inside of you. You have to release the kingdom of God. We have to understand that when we gave our hearts to Christ, our old man died and our new man came to life. And all of a sudden, we start to realize that the habits that we used to have connected to our old man begin to get chipped away. And then we start to realize that our heart is changing. God says in Genesis 1:26, let us make man in our image according to our own likeness. From the very beginning, God created and faceted us to be the reflection of him. And I am convinced that the only reason we do not reflect him is because we are refusing to be who he has created us to be. And most of us, most of the time, we're thinking, well, because I did this, or because I did that, God, look at what I've done. And I, I get that. We, some of us carry, we, we go through hard times, we, we mess up and, and accidents and, and, and all these mistakes will happen. And we say, God, but look what I've done. But at the same time, God's saying, yes, but look what I've done. Look what I've done. I've come. When he sent his son, it wasn't for nothing. He died on the cross, shed his blood for you so you could be, be forgiven and set free and restored to back to the original thing that you were supposed to be created for. You were created in the image of God, in his likeness. And that means if we are like him, then we should be able to operate the way that he operates. But we get in trouble a lot of the times because we rather look with our physical eyes first before looking with our spiritual eyes and, and asking Holy Spirit, what do I do? 
We come in contact with people that may look good on the outside. They may talk good, smell good, dress good. They can quote the scriptures. They know how to shout. They know how to dance. But in the inside, they're dead. And we rely, if we operate and rely on what our own thoughts are, we will miss what God is trying to do. And sometimes what may look good for us is actually no good for us. And you have to understand that God understands the assignment that he has put on your life. But don't think for one second that the enemy doesn't understand your assignment too. If he can get you, he, he understands your assignment more than you understand your assignment. And if he can get you to operate in the flesh and look in the flesh and think through your flesh, it will mess up the assignment that God has placed on you to do. If Samuel would have continued looking in his flesh, he says, he says that he saw him and thought. What would have happened if he would have continued in his thought process and didn't listen to Holy Spirit? The Bible says that the thief in John 10, 10, Jesus tells us the thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to steal. That means he's coming to take from you something that does not belong to him without permission. He's coming to kill. That means he's coming to sacrifice or immolate. And he's coming to destroy. He's coming to put out of the way entirely. Abolish. Put an end to ruin. And if the enemy can distract you and convince you to look with your flesh and operate in your own thoughts, then he can stop the assignment of the Lord. The enemy wants to limit not just you, but the power and the assignment of God. But after Jesus tells us this, he, he finishes with a great hope and he says, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Can I tell you, there is nothing better than Jesus. And I can promise you, doing things his way is far more better than doing things our own way. The song says it best, Defender. Hallelujah, you have saved me so much better your way. Hallelujah, great defender. It's so much better your way. And how true it is, how, how much better is it when we follow the path that he has for us? But there's a tag to the song, and it says, And when I thought I lost me, you know where I left me. You reintroduced me to your love. You picked up all my pieces and put me back together. And you are the defender of my heart. There's times where we might miss it. 
We, meet, we might get, as we say, lost in the sauce. <laughs> we get mixed up. But thank God we serve a God that is able to meet us right where we are to restore us, to bring us back. So we know that his ways are always better than our own. We serve a God that is gracious and for us. But we can be so quick to base our impressions off of what we see that we neglect being sensitive and alert to the Holy Spirit and what is going on on the inside of them. How good is what's inside of them? How pure are their intentions? What does the spirit man look like? Are they producing fruit? And not just fruit, but are they producing good fruit? But verse seven says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I've rejected him. And the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I'm so thankful that we serve a God that looks past the outward appearance. And he looks upon our hearts. The Lord can see a soft and sensitive heart, but the Lord can also see when a heart is not right as well. The Lord can see when somebody has secret agendas. The Lord can see if they have a malicious spirit. There are things that we are not able to see, but if we are sensitive to Holy Spirit, we will at least know they're not the one. But I am so thankful that we serve a God that if the inside doesn't match the outside, that we serve a God who is willing and able to change and heal and restore and make new. We serve a God that is more than able to turn the things around for those who have wicked hearts, God is able to reach them and change them. For those who are hurting, God is able to reach them and heal them. For those who are broken, God is able to heal them and reach them. For those that struggle with anxiety, he's able to heal them and reach them. For those that are struggling, he's able to pick them up. The Bible says he is the lifter of our head. He is our great sustainer. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I'm trying to tell you that our God is more than able to meet you wherever you are. And there are some of you sitting here in this room that have dismissed the call of God off of your life because you don't think you're worthy enough to fulfill it because you know all of your flaws and failures. You know your shortcomings. And you are looking around, looking at everyone else thinking they are more qualified to fulfill the dreams and the callings of God because they have it all together. We get so caught in looking at the outside, but what you don't know, you don't know the battle that they've been facing behind closed doors. And sometimes the struggle in the church as a whole is we are so afraid to be transparent with people because we're afraid, well, what is so-and-so gonna think? Well, their opinions of me change, but can I tell you, when you take your mask off and you are transparent with people, healing begins to happen. Transformation begins to happen. And the issue is some of us are fighting battles by ourselves because we are afraid. But if you were to just open up and be transparent, there would be people coming around you that will help fight for you. 
It's okay to say you're struggling. It's okay to say it's hard. But I'm trying to tell you, God isn't looking for perfect people. He's just looking for willing people. Someone who will say yes. He takes, we say it all the time. He'll take a, um, what is it, a mess and give you a message. You're not disqualified from the callings and the dreams of God. You're the one that he wants to use. And Samuel hears the Lord, so he dismisses Eliab, and he asks for the next son, Abinadab, but he is not the one either. So he asks for the next son, Shammah, but he isn't the one either. And the Bible says that Samuel had seven sons pass by him. And I'm sure that Samuel is confused. I know I heard the Lord. I know what he's spoken to me. So he asks Jesse a strange question. Is it possible, Jesse, that maybe you have another son somewhere? Because all the ones that have passed by me are not the one that God's calling. And I can see Jesse's reaction almost disgusted and probably disappointed. Yeah, I have another son. He's in the pasture. And I find it interesting that when Samuel called for Jesse's sons to line up, he left David in the field. Do you mean to tell me that Jesse forgot his son in the field? No. I don't believe Jesse forgot his son in the field. I think Jesse, David's own father, did not believe that there was a calling on his son's life. Some of you are sitting in this room right now who have dismissed the calling of God off of you who have completely pushed aside the God-given dream in you because someone who was supposed to support you, cheer for you, pray for you, encourage you, actually wound up not believing in you. But I love Samuel's response. He looks at Jesse and he says, go get him. And then he says, and we will not sit down until he's here. I think God really has a sense of humor. Because isn't it funny, the same person who didn't believe in his own son would actually be the one that would escort him into his calling? He had to go retrieve David from the field. And I think it's funny because sometimes that's what God will do with us. Sometimes he will send our enemy to retrieve us. And literally the enemy has no idea that they are actually escorting us right into our calling. God knows what he's doing. Samuel knew that he could not afford to miss what God was wanting to do. This is why he says, we will not sit down until he is brought here. He knew that he had to be positioned correctly in order to see clearly what was going to be coming to stand before him. 
So he was going to stand at attention, waiting. Let me ask you, where have you positioned yourself? Where are you standing? See, sometimes we can be in the right area. We can be right where God has called us to be. And yet we still have to wait. So Jesse brings David, his last son, and presents him before Samuel. And I wonder how many times David has always felt last. And I wonder how many people in this room tonight have felt last. You're the last at everything. I wonder how many times David felt like I'm not noticed. I wonder how many people in this room have felt like I'm not noticed. And we don't live this life to be seen, understand, but sometimes we just wish someone would notice us. And I can't help but wonder how many times David felt like the last one. David was the youngest son. His brothers were older. They didn't want to hang out with him. They were in the army. You read that in chapter 17. His brothers were already preoccupied. The father was busy. So David was the one alone in the field. David just stayed in the field tending to the sheep. And although he was doing what he was supposed to do, he was doing it alone. He was tending the sheep alone, protecting his sheep alone, feeding his sheep alone, grooming the sheep alone, loving his sheep alone. And I can imagine that David must have had moments where he thought to himself, how long do I have to do this alone? I'm tired of being isolated. I'm tired of thinking something is wrong with me. I'm tired of people passing me by. I'm tired of not fitting in. I'm tired of feeling misunderstood. I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of feeling lonely. I'm tired of doing this alone. I wonder how many people in here tonight have felt this way where I'm just tired of doing things alone. If we wanna look at it from this standpoint, it's hard doing things in ministry because you can be surrounded by people and still feel alone. It's harder when you're single and you're in ministry. You don't know, yes I do, I'm single. <laughs> it's hard. And then we get, begin to question ourselves, what's wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? Why is nobody coming in my lane? Why doesn't one, anybody want to stand next to me? Why doesn't nobody want to help me? And I get it. We don't do things to be seen, but sometimes we do just want to be seen. See, there are moments in life where you are doing exactly what you are supposed to be doing. But just because you're doing what you're supposed to be doing doesn't mean it doesn't get hard or that this journey isn't lonely. But what makes this story even more difficult is David's own father didn't even believe in the greatness that was inside of his own son. 
And there are others in this room who are doing exactly what you are supposed to be doing. And yet you have people around you who don't even see the calling of God that's on you or the greatness that's in you. But can I tell you that the Lord will send people to you into your life that will see it? The Bible says that when Samuel sees David and he hears the Lord say, this is the one. Arise and anoint him. The years that David spent in the field by himself he was doing what he knew to do, he was, what he was supposed to do. And although he had hard seasons and difficult seasons and low seasons, he was still staying, minding his business, taking care of his sheep, defending his sheep, loving his sheep, protecting his sheep, staying in his lane, learning the voice of God. And what David didn't realize was the work that he was doing privately would soon be what God would call him to do publicly. But all David knew to do was serve at the place of where he was at. For years, he was in a pasture. So the only thing that he could do was serve in the pasture. Can I tell you that sometimes we start looking left and right. When things get difficult, we start looking for an exit when things don't seem to be moving, we start getting nervous. When our scenery doesn't start changing and all of a sudden things don't seem to be moving in the direction that we thought it was going to be. And we convince ourselves that God has abandoned us. Because surely if he was here, there would be things moving and shifting and changing. Or sometimes we get in positions and we think, I never thought it would be this way. I never thought it would look like this. But can I tell you that God has not abandoned you? He hasn't left you. He's trying to teach you to serve in the place where you are right now because he's about to do something with you while you're there. The Bible says that he sticks closer than a brother, that he would never leave you or forsake you, that he would never leave you comfortless. Because David was serving the Lord privately, God decided to promote him publicly. The Bible says that when Samuel went to anoint David in verse 13, it says, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Listen, it is impossible for you to serve God privately and him not promote you publicly. And not only will he promote you publicly, but he will do it right in front of the very people who never saw anything in you. The Bible says that he anointed him in front of his brothers. The, also the very ones that paid David no mind. I believe in that moment, David had a life-changing moment because in chapter 16, David was a shepherd boy in the field, but in chapter 17, he would become a warrior. How quickly things can change when God is in it. Why am I telling you this? Because I want you to understand that seasons are never wasted. But Aubrey, it's hard. Yeah, but it's not wasted. Nothing makes sense, but it's not wasted. It doesn't feel good, but it's not wasted. But it's lonely. Yeah, but it's not wasted. 
Pastor Cindy touched on this while introducing me. I've known her for a long time. She did my CAMS interview. She came, I tell everybody this every time, and when she interviewed me and she, with the panel, and she's like, well, I'm going to come sit next to you, and we're going to pray. And she grabbed my hands, and she prayed for me, and she's watched me from afar grow and develop. But about five years ago, I was in a tough situation. I was struggling, and she said to me, are you okay? And I didn't want to give her all of the tea. I didn't want to give her all the information, so I was just like, I'm all right. But she grabbed me by the hand and she said, Aubrey, when God is in it, the season is never wasted. And it's something that I've always thought about when I'm going through hard seasons or when things get difficult. I remember the day when she grabbed my hands and she told me, Aubrey, the season is never wasted. Can I tell you that you may be in a season where things seem like nothing is happening, where things don't make sense? When your season is difficult, you may be in a season where no one is noticing you. You're always the last one. Can I tell you what your pastor told me? Can I tell you that with God, nothing is ever wasted and the seasons that you are in are never wasted? God knows what he's doing. In your most difficult seasons are the seasons that will bring you a new understanding and revelation of God. And they are the very things that will help propel you into your next season. Earlier, I talked about being transparent. And I've shared this story with my church because my church has walked with me and my family through very difficult seasons. In about five, four, five years, thanks mom. Five years ago, my dad was diagnosed with uh, aplastic anemia, it's where you stop producing uh, bone marrow, blood, and let's backtrack, dad has never been sick, not even the flu. My whole life growing up, he's never been sick. And all of a sudden, my dad is sick. And the doctor tells us, you know, oh, it's just this or it's just that, and then it turns into, no, it's aplastic anemia. Your dad has to go through full body radiation and chemo treatments, and uh, he needs a blood, uh, a bone marrow transplant, and I couldn't donate because I had heart disease so, and heart surgery, so I couldn't do it. So my sister was able to donate her bone marrow, but dad was still sick, and he wasn't getting better. And I would come up on stage on Sundays, and I would lead our church into worship. But I would go home, and I would lay in bed, you guys can judge me for this, that's fine, but I want to be transparent with you. I was so angry because my dad was sick. And I laid in my bed and I looked up and I told God, I am so mad at you. I said, I hate you. And I said, if you take my dad from me, I promise you, I will never serve you again. You're saying, Aubrey, that's a little harsh. I'm just being honest. Some of us are afraid to be honest. I got to be honest. So I tried to go back. I tried to go to sleep. I pulled the covers. I pulled the covers over me. 
and I could not fall asleep. And all of a sudden, I heard the Lord say, it's okay. And I remember that made me even more mad. And I pulled the blankets back off, and I'm laying my fists are clenched clenched tight and I'm grinding my jaws and I'm like, what do you mean it's okay? He said, it's okay. I'm not mad at you. Can I please tell you that the Lord does have conversations with his people. He does talk. And I said, it's not okay. I said, I'm mad at you. And because I'm mad at you, then you should be mad at me too. Because in my mind, that made sense, right? I'm mad at you. I've told you that I hated you. I'm mad at you. I'm never going to serve you again if you take my dad. And you're going to sit here and tell me that it's okay? He said, yeah, it's okay. He said, because I know that you don't understand what I'm doing. My ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. But, it's, but you'll understand later. So it's okay. And in that second, the Holy Spirit came in my room and I saw a side of God that I have never saw before. I actually saw that he really is gracious and he really is kind and he really does love us and he really does have a plan and a purpose even when we don't see it and he really is patient. But I had to go through a hard, difficult moment for me to be able to have a different perspective of who God was. I will say that my dad is completely healed. He's, he's no more aplastic anemia. He is well. But sometimes we have to go through difficult seasons and hard moments because we have to see just how faithful he is. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes it's not always fair. But can I tell you that God is always still good? He is always still good. And he's always still faithful. And he's always still righteous and holy. And his ways are the best ways. Even when they don't make sense. Even when the math doesn't add up. He somehow can take any situation and turn it around because he's good. what I want you to understand the most is that your seasons of isolation really wasn't a season of isolation. It was your preparation season. I want you to understand that in chapter 16, David is tending to sheep alone, isolated. And what may have seemed like a season of isolation was really a season of preparation Because what the Lord was actually doing with David in the pasture was preparing him and training him for a battle that no one else would be willing to face. See, while David was alone in the pasture, the Lord was teaching him to fight. Because David had to fight off bears and lions to protect his sheep. But while David Within the pasture, the Lord was teaching him how to pray. And while David was alone in the pasture, the Lord was teaching him how to defend his sheep. While David was alone in the pasture, the Lord was teaching him how to hear his voice. 
When David was alone in the pasture, the Lord was training him for his future. I've come to tell you tonight that you may be alone in the pasture, but the Lord has you here because he is training you for your future. This is your training season. He's preparing you to fight battles that no one else is willing to fight. Aubrey, what do you mean? Well, if we read chapter 17, David goes to check on his brothers because they're at war. And his, his father sends him off with snacks to give to the other people, the, the head leaders and the army men. What I love so much is it says that he told Jesse gave David cheese to take to the head leader. And I said, wow, God loves charcuterie boards. It's in the Bible. <laughs> but he sends David to the field to go check on his brothers. And while they're there, a giant named Goliath has come out to taunt the, the army. And the Bible says that when Goliath came out taunting the army, that all of the Israelites ran from him because they were afraid. That means even David's own brothers ran from the giant. And the Lord showed me that he puts us in a pasture away from everyone because he is training us to fight giants that our own past generations were too afraid to face. You have been set aside in a pasture because there are giants that your past generations have been too afraid to face. David understood that the giant that he was about to face would be no match for him because David was in a covenant relationship with God. And this giant wasn't. David said in verse 34 of chapter 17, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from his mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And some of you are worried about losing a battle against the giant, but you have forgotten that you are the one in covenant relationship with God. You have forgotten that the, that the Lord comes to defend you. That when the enemy comes up against you, it has no authority or power because it is not in a covenant relationship. There is power when we are connected to Jesus. There is authority that happens when you are connected to Jesus. I've come here tonight to be the Samuel to you and tell you that you are the one that he is calling. I've come here tonight to tell you that you are the one that he has anointed. I've come here tonight to tell you that you are the one 
that he is isolated for a purpose and a reason. Your isolations and your lonely seasons are not for nothing. You don't understand it, but he has put boxing gloves on you and you've been in a training ring. You've been getting warmed up for the next season of your life. He will never put you in a season without preparing you. He is faithful. He is a good teacher. So some of you have been in dark seasons, hard seasons, lonely seasons. I've come to tell you that you've just been in a training season. You have been in a training season because there are giants that only you will be able to defeat because your past generations have been too afraid to face them. So tonight I wonder if there's anyone here that has felt like, God, I don't, I don't even know what you're doing. Maybe there's some of you here that have been lonely. You're in a lonely season. And you're wondering, where, where is God? Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're trying to figure out your place. Maybe you're trying to make sense of it all. I've come to tell you that you're the one that God wants to use. You're the one that he wants to anoint. You're the one that God wants to use to defeat the giants. And this is the best thing because David was willing to fight the giant. All the generations after David didn't have to worry about that giant again. You're the one that he wants to use to kill giants, to lead people, because David then became a king and he led people. But you have to go through the pasture in the valley sometimes because he wants to teach you how to seek him, how to hear him, how to pray, how to cling to his word, how to identify his voice, how to be sensitive to his leading. I've come to tell you that you're the one. 